the Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode in Season 2 of the Collective Whisper Podcast. We're happy you can join us again. It's great to have you guys back again. We have some fabulous guests for this season for you, and we hope you stay tuned. So before we move on to our first guest, we want to just highlight some things in the community and some things that people could avail of in your area, maybe. So the first thing we're going to look at today is one of our sponsors, and this sponsor is Francis Soap. FrancisSoapShop.ie in Galway City in Ireland is a shop where you can find fantastic bath products to create a very relaxing luxury spa in the comfort of your own bathroom. Health is your wealth. Remember to take care of your skin with natural, free from SLS, and harmful ingredients cosmetics. Francis Soap Shop helps with matching the right beauty products to any skin type. We make sure your skin will be well looked after, glowing and healthy looking. Visit their online store www.francissoapshop.ie and treat yourself or surprise someone you love with a fantastic pampering gift set. Okay, on to this week's guest. Today I'd like to welcome Lucia Evans, originally from Zimbabwe. Lucia Evans is now living in Galway, Ireland, working as a full-time vocal coach. Lucia has been musical from an early age and started singing semi-professional in 2002 at the Galway Youth Theatre. Lucia has studied ballet, piano and oboe and appeared in Panto and Galway in 2004 and 2005. Lucia was the winner of the 2006 season of the Irish talent show Eurostar. Evans' first single, Bruise Not Broken, was released on Universal Records and entered the Irish Singles Chart at number 5 on the 20th of April 2006. The song stayed in the top 10 for three weeks. At the beginning of 2007, she travelled to Burkina Faso in Africa with an RTE crew to make a documentary about children in the developing world. On 16th October 2009, she appeared on The Late Late Show, singing a unique version of Justin Timberlake's Crimea River from her new album. Also in 2007, Evans released one of her own pen tracks herself, MDM Records, and in June released The Other Man, which was written by Evans and produced by Chris O'Brien and Graham Murphy. This peaked at number 17 on the Irish singles charts, and the song won critical acclaim. Evans is a trained vocal coach using SLS, speech-level singing, technique, which she now does teaches as a full-time career. Evans returned to Africa in the summer of 2009 to present a documentary on what life is like in Africa as a celebrity. African A-List won critical acclaim and showed a positive side of African life. Evans released her debut album, Natural Woman, on the 16th October 2009 as an independent artist. In 2013, she began work with the modern version of the Irish dancing show, Riverdance, known as Heartbeat of Home. She's the lead vocalist in the show, also playing a few instruments and joining in some of the dancing. She uses her amazing voice to help and teach others and looks very happy doing so. She has continued to perform in Ireland through the years. She performed at the Goa Songwriting Camp in February earlier this year and was said to be magical. She's achieved enormous accomplishments such as when she sang for the Pope on the 25th of August 2018 in Croke Park, Dublin, alongside other famous singers such as Daniel O'Donnell. Just last year, the National Con- Concert Hall's roof was taken off with her amazing performance of one of the greatest numbers, My Hudson River from Angel of Broadway. She graciously performed with Ortiz Concert Orchestra. Recently, Lucy Evans sang This Is Me with the Discovery Gospel Choir singing on the Late Late Show. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you. 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 Thank
welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is, I tell you what, you're some man to get me to do an interview because this literally makes my skin crawl. The, 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 like the concept of, of doing an interview is, is quite daunting for me because I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can think fast enough sometimes to formulate decent answers. You know, th- this podcast is, is not really an interview. It's a chat. It's yeah. always very loose. You know, the, the great thing that we've kind of achieved on this show, and so many people have said to me, is that it was very, they, they found it very relaxing and they could open up and they could chat. Yeah. And that's all I wanted to be. I wanted to, you know, we talk to each other, we respect each other, and we can give our views without offending anybody. And we can talk about, you know, the good and bad of artistic natures of of things people do, but we don't have to be offensive and we don't have to be dramatic or entertaining. You can be nice and you can be fun and you can be humorous without being an asshole, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny because it's a fine line, isn't it? And I think in, in, in Irish culture in particular, again, this is a conversation I was having with somebody recently. They were like, we always want anybody that has a public face to be nice. We really, really, it's not like America. I don't know if the UK is kind of the same as here in, in America. You can be a bit of a, you can be a bit of an asshole and and get away with it. And I think you'll always encounter that in, in the entertainment industry, but here it's really, really not. It's really not tolerated. It's like, be decent, be nice, or, you know, we're just we're just not going to support you, which is interesting. Irish people have this kind of a thing where they're like, yeah, he seems sound, you know. I'd like to go for a drink with him or her. And it's kind of, that's what you want. That's the thing. Isn't it funny? Like, you, you kind of want to feel like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd invite them around for dinner. Like, sure, sure, they'd be great crack altogether. Um, or your mother would say, he's a nice lad now, isn't he? My mother wouldn't. She's Zimbabwean. She'd be like, mm, yeah, he's OK. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and I think both my brother and I have inherited that where we, we sort of um, we're both empaths. So we'll walk into a room and go, yeah, it's a weird vibe about this one, this one, this one. You'd know this from gigging anyways. You walk into a room and you can spot the messers from a mile away and go, yeah, this is going to be trouble all night long. You know what I like about people. I love people and I love meeting people. But I always say to my wife, you know, she says, well, what did you think of that person? And I go, I always say, the first thing I say is, I don't want to sound arrogant or I don't want to sound like superior, but I just felt that person is not my cup mm. of tea, you know, that I didn't connect with them. And I feel like when I meet people, I yeah. know if they're for me or not. Do you know that kind of way? We all do. You know, I, I'll never be rude to them or anything. But the thing is, I won't, I don't like investing in kind of friendships or anything that I know are going to be fake or not going to be real. For me, I have to say, this person seems really genuine. I could really get to know this person and get to like them. Yeah. So I, I read people quickly. And you, as you said, like that from gigging, you learn to read the room and you learn like who to look at and who to see and who to talk to sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, you know, I think the older you get, the quicker you realize mm, you're not meant to like everyone. Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't get everybody to like you. We want everybody to like us. It's not possible. You don't even like everybody. And that's fine. 25% of the people you meet in your lifetime will never like you. It does not matter what you do. 25% can be convinced to like you and 50% will like you straight out the gate. And if you can make peace with that, then you'll live a happy life or, you, you know, you'll be, you'll be content. 
I think it's important to love people because, you know, everybody's coming from different situations and different backgrounds. It's important to love people, but you don't have to like them. And that really set me free. When I, when I figured that out, I was like, I will love everybody, but I'm not going to like everyone. And, uh, you know, because I was always like, oh, I need to like everyone. It's not, it's just, it's just not possible. What I always say to my kids, you know, just, you know, treat everyone with respect, like yes. from the get go. But once they kind of start disrespecting you, just walk away. You don't have to be disrespectful back. But just, you know, there's lots of people out there you can be friends with. But if people start kind of abusing you in a way, even kids do this to other kids, you know, if they start kind mm. of being, bull, uh, being a bully or being a bit of uh, pushy and stuff, just walk away if you don't feel it's right. And that's the same way in life. I mean, you move on. You, you know, not everyone can like everybody, as you said. You move on. Yeah, you know, and it's also we're, we're constantly um, as human beings, we're, we're constantly playing status games without realizing it in our interactions, you know, and it's, and it's because we're, we're built to survive. So you will leverage certain relationships subconsciously an awful lot of the time based on what you need. And that's really what networking is in the industry, isn't it? It's, it's leveraging, it's leveraging what you, what you have or don't have to, and I hate to use this phrase, try and get ahead, but it's okay. It's normal. It's normal, you know. Let's go back a little, you know, um, because you yeah. obviously, you have Zimbabwean heritage. So tell us about your, you know, experience when your family came to Ireland. Tell us, go back to when you were young. Uh, well, my family didn't actually move over with me. So I grew up in Zimbabwe, did all my schooling over there. Um, and then bizarrely, because we, we, we were an English colony for a long time. So our, all of our exams, our secondary school exams were O and A levels, Cambridge O and A levels. So I was trucking along doing my A levels and just had a B in my bonnet to, I'd always had a B in my bonnet to travel. So I stupidly, I would not recommend this at all. Um, I stupidly split my A-level year in two uh, to go on exchange to Brazil. I did not pick Brazil. I did not pick Brazil. I did not want to go to Brazil. But I think um, the the, organi- the organization I went over with is, is a, a crowd called Rotary. And the way we do the selection process over there is the, the organization ultimately picks where you're going to go. So they were like, oh, well, she's studying French. She's bilingual anyway. So we'll send her to a country sent to a country where she has to learn a third language like hello so in in zimbabwe what's the main language spoken french english and zimbabwe or what's the no so we have uh, english obviously is one of the the main languages three main languages so there's english there's shona which is spoken mostly in the northern part of the country and then there's nebele which is a spin-off of zulu that's spoken in south africa yeah yeah so um very, very quick history lesson. Um, Shaka Zulu had two sons. Long story short, they ran away. They basically defected to Zimbabwe, landed in the southern region, and and the language kind of diluted slightly. They're very similar, but different. Um, so those are the three languages. But once you get into secondary school, you are learning French almost straight out the gate. Um, so I did French for my O-levels happened to be really good at it did it for a level um took off to brazil for a year as i said and then had to come back home and pick up school again and 
in the interim, um, my parents had got divorced while I was away. So there was a lot going on and, um, fair play to my mom. She kind of picked up on the fact that I'd been away for a year, had grown up an awful lot, had gained, um, quite a lot of autonomy by having to, you know, live in another country. So I ended up in a girl band now, not, not like not like a girl band that you would get over here. It was like cabaret. I don't know if you ever played with um, you know, those machines that you used to put floppy disks into with your backing yes. tracks on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really showing my age. I am really showing my age. I never really used them, but I remember I knew somebody who had one and they were like, I was like, What the hell? Yeah. Oh, they were gas. So you'd you'd turn this dial. Right. And there was a there was like a screen next to it. The really fancy ones were like LED screens and it would pop up the name of the song. And you could you could pre obviously preload your songs. I was it was mental. But I was in this three, you know, this three woman band, cabaret band. And we traveled between Botswana and Zimbabwe a lot. And at one of the gigs in Botswana. This Irish guy showed up. And I was like. Okay, well, happy for you. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm here to earn a few quid, go home and try and get through the last year of my A-levels. And originally the plan was the three of us girls were going to try and, and get a bit of momentum behind the act because we were doing really well and possibly tour, you know, the African continent and maybe beyond. They were, I think there was a Chinese option um, at one point. And then your man just wouldn't leave me alone. It was like, can I get your number? And I was like, I don't want to give you my number. Was it more of a romantic thing or a talent thing? Oh, it was a romantic thing. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, he just wore me down, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of caved. I, 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 caved, I literally caved after three weeks. I was like, okay, fine. Here's my number. But I guarantee you, you're not going to call me. And fair juice to him. I mean, he didn't, I don't think he waited 36 hours, 24 hours. None of this Tinder shite of, you know, I swiped right. I'm not going to ring you for three weeks or whatever. Or not, you know, we're going to chat for a week and then I'm gone. So there's no ghosting back then. People were serious. Um, we were dating for a while. And then he said, will you come home with me? And that really it really threw a spanner in the works because it wasn't in my five-year plan. I am very much, this is my five-year plan. And this is, you know, this is kind of the track, the path we're going to take. Um, and so I mentioned it to my mom, obviously. And she said, you have absolutely nothing to lose. If you want to go, go. You've absolutely nothing to lose. If it doesn't work, if it doesn't work out after six months, come home. So this is 19 year old me on a flight to flipping. I've, this was only the second international flight I'd done out to Heathrow, got questioned for three hours by immigration in Heathrow um, because we just changed over to the Euro. And I think they're, you know, they're very protective of their borders, understandably so. Um, just about made it to the Aer Lingus flight. And when I say just about, I mean, literally, like it was one of those scenes you just arrived arrived at the door and whatever makeup I was wearing was completely street because I'd been bawling because your one was an absolute cow she really was I know she was only doing her job but it was it was mentally just so tiring because she would leave for 10 minutes and then come back and ask the exact same questions but in a different way and <clears throat> take a drink if you want no I'm okay and uh 
there was another, there was a, a father daughter from China sitting across from us and he got deported. Literally, he wasn't, she wasn't satisfied with the way he was answering the questions and she was, she, and he didn't have an awful lot of English and this cut through me. I'll never forget it. She said to his daughter, I need you to tell your dad that we're not um, allowing him entry into the UK. And I need you to tell him that he's on the next flight back to China. It just, it just, your blood just kind of runs cold because the decision was made there and then there was no recourse to any sort of legal um, advice or anything. It's just, you're on. And I thought I am toast. I am toast. They're never going to let me. And sure she did. Legged it to, I can still see it. It was gate 91 in Heathrow. I've never run as fast in my life. Got to, got to the door and your mom was like, how are you? <laughs> so what is going on? This is so trippy. This is so trippy because you've got, you've got, you know, a really intense immigration official on one side and this really kind of lax air stewardess. And she's like, oh, your seat is, you know, it's really gentle. Got to Dublin. Now, I can't do a Dub accent, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but immigration at Dublin Airport at the time was, if you can imagine, a very wide pulpit almost. And it had a frame over the top of it, manned by one Dub, literally. And I think I cried. Although I was just so tired and so traumatized and I wanted my family and, you know, just that wasn't going to happen. And uh, so I get to the desk, hand him my passport and he's like, how are you? How are you, love? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, grand. He's like, you're all right. It's like, yeah, I just I had a really hard time with immigration. And she was he was like, don't mind that cow. You're grand, you're grand. Go on, go on. Of course, that all changed. That all changed very rapidly because um, because the sort of switch over from Ireland being probably the most racially homogenous country in Europe to what it is now happened very, very quickly. Do you know? So things kind of shut down. And I remember taking a trip out to the States and coming back and everything had changed. There were multiple, you know, gates to go in. There was a non-EU section and an EU section. Um, but I, but I always knew, I didn't always know that I, that I'd settle here. I knew after the first year I wasn't going anywhere. Right. What you year know? was that? It's 2002. So it'd be 20 years. On, so that was like yeah. a few years before you kind of did the whole Eurostar thing. So when, when you got to Dublin, you, you were with this guy and you yeah. kind of, you know, obviously were you at that stage, were you heading to Galway or were you staying in Dublin? Neither. Oh, okay. Neither. We were in a, a really, really small town in Offaly. So... <laughs> And I, I don't want to mention names because that's unfair. No, you, you don't. Know. Um, but the first, the first time I met his family, uh, they obviously hadn't seen anyone from Africa before. And so this orderly kind of line formed. It was really strange. They had a big family gathering. This orderly sort of line formed and, you know, they were shaking hands. And it's like, how are you? I'm like, Grant. You, you know, fine. you do. 
You just reminded me, it's like a scene from Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. You know this movie? Oh, 100%. 100%. I only watched that. Can you believe I only watched Coming to America two weeks ago and I nearly pissed myself but that, laughing. Just, just when you said about the orderly line, I was just got that picture in my head. And, and the funny thing about Coming to America is that it's so un-African. It's yes. so inaccurate. It just, just. Yeah, yeah. I was sitting next to my partner, and I said, that "Africa's not like this." No, no you know, no. this is just such an, you know. Anyways, that was the, um, cliche, the American cliche of Africa. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it works because it's funny. It's funny. Um, yeah. It's not really meant to be, you know, historically accurate or no, culturally no, no. accurate in any way. So, so, so you were in, funny. you were in this like, you were being presented without being presented, but it was a bit yeah. of a culture shock for you, even. Um, it didn't hit me until I was in the Warwick. Do you remember the Warwick? Yes, I do. Uh, That's saying a lot, isn't it? Uh, So I'm in the Warwick one night uh, in the bathroom, washing my hands. And this girl comes up from one of the cubicles and she was from Donegal. And, you know, I I thought nothing of it. I was like two women in a bathroom, standard practice. And she looks at me, she goes, oh, my God. It's like, oh, damn it. What what is coming down the tracks here? Oh, my God, I love your skin. And she literally reached out and and copped a feel of my face. Like, it was like full on, full on, full on. And then she's like, I love your hair. And she was like all up in my hair. Obviously, this is technically mine because I bought it, but it's not. Um, So so I'm standing there thinking, I don't know. Is this classed as like inappropriate or harassment or or, obviously I was too young to sort of understand, no, this is fascinating. It's the same as, you know, when you go over to countries like China or Vietnam and you are not the norm, you are basically the other. You're exotic. That's all it is. Now, that's not the case now, but 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, people people would stop walking down Chop Street and just stare at me, and I think well, that's that's really bizarre. Certain things struck me, like how quiet it was as well on buses. Couldn't couldn't get my head around that. I had a, a, on, our, on last season's show. I had a, a presenter, RT presenter, all in Magikaduli, and she's from yes. Nigeria. You know, yeah. And what's quite interesting, obviously, is that. You know, when you're living in a country that's predominantly white, Catholic and so on, and you come here and, you know, as you said, maybe where you live, there aren't many African people or black people. But Mm. after a while, um, is it something that some people just learn to live with? Or is it that some people always have this kind of internal battle with they're always looking and judging, making me different and like when you consider yourself being on your star and when you consider mm. Samantha Mumba and she had a great yeah. career, do you think sometimes that there is allowances given because people don't want to offend? How do you feel that the whole um, entertainment industry has dealt with black singers and, and black actors in Ireland? Oh, that is such a loaded question, isn't it? Mm. Because yeah, I, I don't mean in a bad way as such. I kind of mean no, no. I know I know changed. exactly what you mean. I, I, I know it's changed, but I'm sure at the beginning for you, even moving into the entertainment world, you faced some obstacles. But then on the other hand, 
you had people who looked at you as being exotic and were thinking mm. that's a good thing. I think, and I, I can only speak from personal experience. Like I can't really speak. I'm very careful about speaking for an mm. entire community because I can't. Yes, of course, of course. Um, for me personally, Ireland has been very, very, very good to me. But I think that's on the basis of if you're willing to work hard. Irish people really respect hard work and they really respect um, uh, a trier, I think, you know, because I auditioned for Eurostar the first year and didn't get it. I was told point blank, whatever it is, you don't have it. So I just went away and carried on working on my craft. So I think you're right in the sense that when, for me personally, here in Ireland, people are very comfortable with me being um, pitched as a soul singer, you know, and so that's been really, really helpful in a lot of ways. Um, I've never really come up against any any obstacles. If anything, there are doors that have opened for me here that would never have opened for me in Zimbabwe, you know, um, the whole, everything after Eurostar didn't work out, but the knock-on effect was, you know, I got to be the lead singer of a show that toured China, the US, Canada, um, I've sung for the Pope, for Nelson Mandela, met Justin Timberlake. There's all these different things that have happened that I think if I was anywhere else in the world, they mightn't have happened. Um, and sometimes I think it helps to be in a smaller culture. There's pros and cons to everything. Um, but in the entertainment industry specifically, I've never encountered any sort of um, blatant racism or or anything like that. Outside of that, yes, that's a different thing altogether. Yeah, of course, of course. But what I mean, that's the thing. And like, you can't get away from the true things in life. And one mm. of them is, if you are, like you said, if you are a person from America or from Australia or Ireland and you go to China and let's say you're a singer, there's lots of Chinese singers there and lots of, let's say, Asian people singing. So if mm. a talent agent or a scout sees you singing, they're like, okay, they have a different look. They can yes. stand out in the crowd. Yes. And, yeah. you know, on, people might say, oh, well, yeah, you know, that that could work in our show. So the thing about it is, of course, when you come to a new culture and you have a different look, it will open doors for you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But also, I, I, I have to applaud Irish people because um, they're not fooled either. Like if you're shite, you're shite. It's kind of, you know, they're, they're not going to dress it up any, any, any other way. You may get away with it for, for a period of time, but eventually they're just like, you know, no, that's not happening. So I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. And even with, even with the pandemic, I mean, it kind of became a running joke um, <laughs> with my work colleagues because they'd be like, are you taking the Friday off? Yeah. Are you on the late, late again? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. On purpose. I'm not yeah. doing it on purpose. I just think they're probably stuck for people. <laughs> That's what it is. They're pure and stuck. And it's like, who, who do we know that can come in and sing with Asher? Lucia. Let's put this person in the fourth page. And if we need her, she's there. But no, I yeah. don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think they, I think, you know, if you go on the Late Late Show, you know, sometimes the Late Late Show gets a lot of flack and they say, oh, there's some boring guests. But sometimes there's some great guests. 
And the thing is, sometimes it's such a big institution and it's on every week that people think mm. they own the show. So people are like armchair terrorists and they're like, oh, this fucking shite on Ryan Tuberty's a pain in the hole and stuff. But they still watch it because they know there's always yeah. going to be a gem in the middle of it sometimes. Yeah. Like you might sit through 10 boring guests and then you have one amazing guest. And also given given the year and a half now, right, that we've that we've been through, people need some sort of constant. There's there's so many fluctuations and unknowns relative to this pandemic. It feels like, you know, there's a new variant every other week and, you know, this one is resistant to vaccination. Da 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 da. We're opening, we're shutting, we're that to have that constant, even if it's just on an entertainment level. It's very comforting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um to have it. So Yeah. I- I'm surprised actually they haven't started like a a lockdown talent show, <laughs> you know, in Ireland. It's it's a wonder that like somebody didn't go, well, there's all these people on Facebook and good and bad. Let's have yeah. ta- another talent show with like the, the cream of the crop and the worst, you know. <laughs> but, you know, logistically, it would be a nightmare. Of course. Because he, even, you know, like us trying to get the sound together for yeah. this tonight, whatever was going on, they were just yeah. gremlins. You imagine. Although they did that, did you see they did that for um, American Idol in 2020? All oh, right, I didn't see that. Yeah, one. yeah. So the the finals weren't live. They had each contestant individually in their respective locations, and they must have uh, their budget must be astounding because they'd have had to send, they'd have had to send a sound crew, a production right. crew, basically to every single person's house, and wow. cue all of the stuff in. I I just thought it was amazing. Yeah. lot of effort but they i mean their talent shows are, are just on a totally different they're, they're colossal they're colossal so so tell me then when you arrived in ireland and you know you mm. you kind of settled in as much as you could into the irish culture what way or how did you kind of kickstart your singing career and your your how did you step into the entertainment industry before you were a star oh, my memory is so foggy i think i met a bass player okay who's in a jazz band and that was my in and then the next thing it was panto was on that year and the power twins approached me to do panto and then word kind of you know yourself word just started kind of getting round mm. and the next thing I was you know in a jazz band a couple of covers bands um working in a beauty salon it was madness 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 doing plays with Goba Youth Theatre all these different things that um, if you had said to me in my first three months, how's it going? I'd have been like, I am on the next flipping plane out of here. I am out, guys. I'm out. I've been rained on. I am I'm just I'm up to here. And I, I called my mom after three months bawling on the phone. I said, I can't do this, mom. I just it's too hard. And she said, tough it out for another three months. And she was absolutely right. She was absolutely wow. right. It just, things just started falling into place. And um, yeah, I just, I, I didn't look back. Obviously playing in the, you know, the jazz scene or the cover band scene or the panto scene or all the, the whole kind of scene around Ireland. And, you know, for lots of artists, they want to do original music or do something that can bring them yeah. that step further to having a career. So yeah. for you, what were the steps you were kind of taking? Did, like, did you start looking at, 
talent shows or did you start looking at your star in in or what would, at that pop idol was in the uk at that stage wasn't it so pop idol was on and and the whole um Nadine Coyle thing was, you know, it was, it was did all I, the rage. Did I say, did I say 1974? 1974. Yeah. Brilliant. Her face, her yeah. face just gives me life. Yeah, her yeah, facial yeah. expressions in that moment just give me life. A fair play to her. You know, I just think she obviously saw her shot and decided I'm going to take it one way or the other. And it, it, it worked out for her. See, and you have to do it sometimes. Um, you have to have balls. You just go for it. Listen, balls like bloody coconuts, I say to people, like bloody coconuts. Um, But I remember watching it and thinking, so let me put it to you this way. When you're a kid growing up in Africa, all you want to do as a singer is be the next Whitney Houston or the next Mariah Carey. That's all the stuff that I grew up on was, you know, the massive divas um, and even Christina Aguilera to some degree. When you see a show that seems to pop out artists who are successful, in my head, I was like, that's a no brainer. I'm going to go on that show next year. I'm going to win it. I'm going to have a record deal and that'll be it. So when Eurostar came along, I just thought, well, I'll audition. Um, The first year that that it Obviously, the first few years, it was your vision that you went and did. And I thought, well, you know, it might not necessarily be the thing that I want to do, but it's still a platform. It's still kind of on that route. And then they changed the prize to, you know, a record deal and a publishing deal. And I auditioned. It never occurred to me that writing was an option. I'd never written a song in my life. so. um I just automatically, like so many contestants, I think, thought, well, this is this is it. Once I pop out the other side of this bubble, there's a record deal and a publishing deal and it's all done. And I, I don't really have to do any work per se. And that may sound naive and lazy, but I think that's genuinely what happened to a lot of acts that maybe didn't see the success people expected yeah. out the other side. Because it looks you- that way. The other thing is as well is like nowadays, you know, they used to say in the past you had to be a triple threat. You had to be able to yeah. sing, dance and act, you know, yeah, like yeah. kind of um, what's her name, you know, Britney or Justin or any of those. Mm. But the thing is now you have to actually be more because now you have to be a good singer. You have to, you know, maybe not, maybe write the song, but you have to be able to do content. You have to be able to do YouTube. You have to be able to do so much. And of course, it's a shame that they say, oh, don't worry about the songwriting. We we have all these guys. We have a team to do it. But, mm. you know, there's so much pressure nowadays. And I think when you look back and you think, okay, if I can do it without having to write the songs and be a singer, because I want to be a singer. Because a lot yeah. of great singers never wrote songs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think what's happened in the industry is is really interesting. I'm trying get my thoughts together on the one hand it is or was somewhat devastating when labels didn't come on board with the patenting of the mp3 i have a point Mm. i really do have a point and so apple comes along you know buys the patent and suddenly we're selling songs for for 99 cents the label still had the ability to pop out stars with a team of people 
Now nobody has that safety net. That's why you're seeing all of these, you know, labels merge, et cetera, et cetera. All of that to say, I think it's, I think this is a powerful moment in the industry because you get to create your persona, who you are. You get to be as authentic as you want to be. It's four times the amount of work, mm, that's the five times the amount of work as an independent. But what's powerful for me right now is I get to choose. I get to choose the side of me that people see. Nobody gets to dictate that to me, you know? Um, and had I known that coming out of Eurostar, I think the results would have been very different. You have to be willing to drive the vehicle. You have to be willing to, you know, like you say, content, 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 because people eat content like they're consuming. Honest to God, it's, it's like next level. And some of the stuff that I see I sort of question its validity because I'm like, really? This thing is 3 million views? Really? Yeah, it, it, It's kind of frightening how things can become viral. And it's frightening as well, the amount of work some people put into a project and it doesn't do any good. And then somebody just has an instant hit with something yeah. that's silly or stupid, you know. But unfortunately, it's, a, it's about a lot of it's down to look now. And it's look of because, you know, someone's daughter or someone's son can click on something and spread it around and then it becomes mm. hugely viral and all of a sudden there's a hit and the person maybe didn't mean for it to be viral. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I also think um, the flip side of that is you have artists, like I I am obsessed right now with Janelle Monet and Laura Mvula and a girl called um, Emily King. Those yeah. three women are just, they're, they're blowing my mind. And what I love about them is they are fundamentally creators who have, um, they've invented themselves. They're not necessarily viral. You'd never, you'd never think. If you were to say pop star today, people would say Dua Lipa or um, this is, this is how much I do not listen to mainstream radio do you know something it's funny when you mentioned those singers there's one singer she did pretty well and she's still doing well but she's more underground but i think yes is this singer is georgia smith have you ever heard georgia smith no oh my god you have to listen to georgia smith she's an english she's an english soul nothing she's like urban urban soul singer but i kind of stumbled across her music two years ago and I was like, I listened to all types of music, but I was like, wow, her voice is amazing. And then yeah. we went to see her in this festival there, Mad Cool. And okay. we weren't sure what time she was on, but I could hear her from across the field, you know, like the speakers. And me and my wife went over. And now, like, we're huge fans since. And her singing is one minute can be so soulful. And at the next minute can be very urban and she can be yeah. like rapping. But her voice is just amazing. And she's, I think now, as you said, Dua Lipa and these singers are out there. But I look at her voice and I thought she's really authentic, really authentic. Yeah. But even Dua, okay, if, if, we're, if we're being really, really critical. So my, my favorite Dua Lipa song is Levitating. And I know it's yeah. been played to death mm. on the radio. But, but when I listen to it, I think there's, there's something really nostalgic about that. That bass line just kills me kills me whoever's doing whoever's doing her production is sick 
the, the problem I have with Dua Lipa right now, not with her, but with her production team and all that. And I know her producer, Andrew, what's his name? Andrew Smith, whatever. He, he won a Grammy for, I can't think of his name, but he won the Grammy okay. for that future nostalgia, the production yeah. of that album. And great production, brilliant. But what I don't like about it is that nowadays they're not just sampling um, vocal melodies or like disco guitar lines. Like on that song, is it Don't Start Now, that song? They yeah, sample yeah. Um, uh, need, what, the In Excess. Is that sampled? Yes. So I kind of looked into this and they sampled the vocal line of that. that the vocal line of that song is the guitar yeah. riff for Need You Right Now. I think that song or In Excess, you know. Yeah. It's the vocal yeah. line. And then I started realizing that what some of these new producers are doing is taking famous vocal melodies and or not even vocal, sorry, but guitar lines or bass lines mm. and turning them into new vocal melodies. So it's like a new form of plagiarism. Do you understand? Is a plagiarism though? Is a well, plagiarism? Well, I mean, it, it's influencing, but the point is they probably do have to pay in excess because once that yeah. gets out there, someone. But it is a little bit because. I believe right now, like there's some great talent out there, but I believe that 75% of the songs that are out there are either sampled, ripped off, you know, and then after the fact, they pay the bill or they pay the companies, you know, mm. the record labels, but they make so much money that they don't care. And we're, we're a bit, we're a bit yeah. starved now of new harmonies and new melodies on the pop scene. With all the other acts, we aren't. But isn't it, I, I think that's, it's interesting you say that. I think it's a real positive because, because it's indicative of the fact that we crave that music from yesteryear. Course, this is really cool. Yeah. I'll send you a link to this interview that um, Laura Mvula gave at um, Oxford University, one of their unions. And she said, you know, we've, we've kind of moved into an era where, um, you don't really see stars like Prince anymore. You don't really see people like Miles Davis anymore who'd, you know, who'd sit in a chair and stare you down and be like, what do you mean it has to harmonize? It doesn't have to harmonize. I just have to feel it. You know, they had a swag. They had an attitude that was so special. And a lot of these underground artists have that. Like the Janelle Monets and the Lauren Vulas yeah. of this world have that. And I love that. And it, it tugs it tugs on my heartstrings and I'm like, what is that? What is that thing that they're doing? Why are all of these, um, you know, guitar lines, bass lines, whatever being sampled? It's because all of that stuff was so good. But I, I think, yeah, I do agree with you, but I think that there's two levels. There's the level of the Janelle Monet and those, which, which are yeah. not instant pop hits. They're, you get into the music and then you discover it. But I think there's a, the top level, which are instant hits, are yeah. the ones that are being plagiarized. So because, for example, if I'm a producer and I know if I take a, a sample from yesteryear and not just mm. sample like the guitar riff in it, but I take the bass line and turn it into a trumpet line. So it tricks the people because they're like, it's instantly familiar, but I don't know what yeah. it is. And then yeah. you go, that vocal line is so, from something else. Yeah, and I like yeah. I, I discovered that by accident because I was listening to the song and I was going, 
And I was like, so familiar. And then I just yeah. saw an article about in excess being sampled. And I thought, wow, there's probably so much music out there right now that if you delve yeah. into it, it's they change things so much, you know? Yeah, yeah. But also... And this is double backing to, you know, the label situation because Dew is obviously on yeah. on a label. And when when iTunes was invented, like I said, it was it was a massive blow. But you were still able to sell an album for nine ninety-nine. Um, bigger stars were able to sell, you know, special edition for eighteen ninety-nine, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, lowest level, you were buying a song for ninety-nine cent. Now when you're streaming and on that, uh, on that as well, <clears throat> a recording artist that's, that was on a label at the time, the label recouped everything they spent and then some, you know, so it was still, there was still a cash cow there. Now with streaming, it's like you, as an artist, as a label, you make four cent on a yes. song. Yes. After whoever's listening has streamed it for a minute. Oh, that's weird. So after whoever's listening has streamed it for a minute, in other words, you've got to captivate an audience for a minute, hence the plagiarism. Yes. Well, you see, it the, works yeah, because yeah, and it's going to hook people need in. to be a hook now, because, you know, one time you'd have to have a good, you know, verse, chorus, a bridge. But now if the first 15 seconds, 30 seconds have a hook, you can just repeat that and repeat it. And as long as record labels are looking at TikTok and Instagram and these short yes, format things yes. and going, we just need a song that's 15, 30 seconds long. And that's what's happening, unfortunately. What do you think about then the whole Billie Eilish phenomenon? I actually watched the Billie Eilish documentary. And, yeah. and I... I actually, my honest opinion was before I watched it, like, I think she's a fabulous voice and everything. But then when I watched it, I thought to myself, okay, so herself and her brother, they are really talented and he's an amazing songwriter and she, her too, and really good. But when I watched the movie, the more I watched of it, the more I didn't like it because it kind of like, I was thinking everybody's telling her, everybody's yes people around her. Like they're just saying, yes, 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 you're the greatest don't cry, all of this. And th it's very, it's like the whole Justin Bieber thing. It's okay. really disheartening to see these artists and even their family get in on the whole, consoling them all the time and telling them they're the best in the world and you're constantly being told you're amazing. And it's just to keep the train rolling. And then eventually okay. the train is going to crash. And I mean, we, we've all heard the stories coming from Justin Bieber every so often about, you know, the demons in the industry and so on that ruined his life. And, you know, he's singing songs about being lonely now. And mm. you kind of think to yourself, the, the whole record industry is good, but doubly bad in a lot of cases. And I think Billie Eilish is a victim of that at the moment, even though she's very successful. She's hugely successful. I now I didn't watch the documentary, so I don't know. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to give it a look. Um, but I do think there's a real streak of brilliance about her. Yes. Like I listened to some of her music and I was like, again, it's that whole subjective thing of not everything that I heard I necessarily liked. But that's OK. There were certain moments where I was like, this kid is yes. on 
unbelievable. She is probably the closest thing to, um, you know, a version of like the cure in the 21st century. She's so left of center, you know. The one thing I I took away from that and from listening to her voice, when you hear her singing a cappella sometimes or working with her brother, Mm. you get this feeling of like Billie Holiday, this kind of voice, right? Oh, yeah. I just think, I said to my wife, I said, you know that no matter how successful she is now, she is going to mature into be this fabulous uh, soul kind of swing singer. I mean, she has that kind of voice. She has yeah. that kind of voice that, you know, when you watch these old uh, mob movies and the guy goes into the bar and there's a girl yeah. in a red dress singing and her yeah. voice is just captivating. Billie Eilish has that kind of voice now at her age. So in the future, I think she's going to outgrow the whole, as you said, the cure, depression kind of thing and become this amazing show singer, I think. Yeah. And, and as well as that, you know, um, the idea that her vocal has been paired with this, you know, almost poppy production. A lot of that is happening in the underground music scene now where, you know, styles are being fused and clashed together. And I think that's, you know, not to sound, I try and always see the glasses half, half full, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think what's what's coming out of, you know, the the flames of kind of, you know, labels falling apart and everything else is people are bucking against the system and going, well, why can't I rap over a jazz band? Why can't I um, use an opera singer in a hip hop song? Why can't I do all of these things? And people are just having fun. And the work then is is, you know, generating a following around that. You know, you only have to look at an Irish singer, Damien Dempsey. OK, so yeah, Dempsey has so many styles. I mean, and then sometimes I remember my daughter, we were listening to Damien Dempsey in the car. And I, I over the last few years, I hadn't listened to an awful lot of them. And I started listening more again lately. And my daughter was like, he's not a good singer. Right. And I, was like, <laughs> I said, on this song, maybe his voice doesn't sound, you know, it sounds like it's very brogish or very Irish. But then mm. on another song, she'd go, his voice sounds so good. And I said, because yeah, he's yeah. a very natural singer that can sing like the Dubliners and then can sing like a pop star and then can sing with Pauline Scanlon and very harmonic. And you're yeah. kind of like his voice. I, I like. I'm kind of shocked the more I listen to his back catalogue, and I go, "Wow, he's like he has all these different styles, and it's just amazing yeah. to listen to the differences." Yeah, but you know, he wasn't a singer originally. No, no, he was more of a spoken word kind of rap yeah. guy. Yeah, and who took him under their wing? Was it? Um, this is going to bug me now. It's going to bug me all night long. Um, have you heard his song Colony? Yes, amazing. Oh, man. And, and, and listen to this. When when that song came on on my stereo in the car, my eight-year-old yeah. son said after it, Dad, can you play that song again? And my yeah. wife said, yeah, but the lyrics are a bit strong. And he was like, I said, do you like it? And he said, yeah, I like it. I love it. I love the way. Well, yeah. He said, I don't understand it all. And I said, but I love the way he's singing it. You know? Oh, so so Sharon Shannon was doing a, a live stream in the National Concert Hall and she very kindly asked me to tag along. Um, and it was for Paddy's Day. So we were on, I think, on the, the Saturday of Paddy's Day week, as it were. And she sent me a couple of songs 
um, and Colony was one of them. And I just, I think I, t- I think I messaged her straight away. I was like, Sharon, you've got to be frigging kidding me. This stuff is gold. This is gold. And I, you know, I'd never sing songs that were that controversial, but I thought it totally plays into, um, just becoming a more real version of myself because, you know, I'm, I'm not the fluffy beauty queen that does this all day long. No, no, no. I'm nice. I'm nice. From that angle, you were, it was a bit Nicki Minaj there. I was like, I think she's so smart. I really do. I mean, like it's 50 shades of crazy sometimes. Yeah. yeah. When she's smart enough to be successful, that's, that's what matters to them. Come here. Let me, let, let me go back to, obviously, when you finished Eurostar yeah. and you went out into the crazy world of being a Eurostar winner and mm-hmm. you were like, you know, you released you released your song Bruised and Broken, a uh, Bruised Not mm-hmm. Broken and mm-hmm. everything. But how crazy was that time? And was it a, like mentally for you, was it a good time or was it really difficult? So... I got very lucky after the show in the sense that um, I ended up with solid management. And one one of the things that sort of wore me down, not wore me down mentally, but I was very conscious of was um, there was a sort of contestant comparison done at the, at the semifinal stage. So we were down to Marilyn Band, myself and the Sullivan brothers and each of the labels, Sony and universal were asked. I don't, I don't even know if I can talk about this stuff, but anyways, I'm going to, because it's, you know, it was aired and I can, I can still see the guys in Sony going, um, about me. She's a great voice, but really what else is there? I'm not, I'm not saying that verbatim, but that's pretty much, the implication is like, she's a great voice, but great voices are a dime a dozen. And that's, you know, that's not untrue. That's not untrue in, in the world that we live in. And so that immediately built an anxiety into me. I was like, well, you develop imposter syndrome very quick, you know. Um, so came out the other side, was really happy to have won, was on a high, um, was being asked to do different things. And then very quickly which is just the nature of the business. Things just kind of dried up. And um, my contract with Universal was written in such a way that I was on a three-month development period after the show, which is not long. Like most contracts that had a development period, the development period was about a year, which makes sense. To develop an artist, you need a year minimum. And so we get to the end of the three-month period. One party is always supposed to write to the other to say, you know, what are we doing as per the contract? Um, we're supposed to be recording an album and Universal came back and said, no, we're not. And so we were like, and when I say we, I mean myself and my management were like, well, what are we doing then? And they were like, well, we're going to change um, the terms and give you the option to record another single. And this is the budget. And contrary to my nature, which is vehemently, non-confrontational um I was like this this doesn't really sit right with me maybe we could come up with a different solution and um and Universal came back and said no that's that's kind of what we're offering um and so that was it I was let go from the label that was it I had no contract 
Um, and the Sony one, the Sony one was a five year term, but I can just remember thinking, I don't know what happens next from a financial perspective, you know, um, I need to start making money. I need to start, you know, developing your back career. Developing my career. I, do, I really don't know what to do. But I really didn't know who I was as an artist or what sort of, you, you know. So it's not that there was a fault on both sides. I think I can look back at my 23-year-old self and go, ideally, you should, it was the right opportunity at the wrong time for you. What should have happened was you should have been holed away for another five years or so and forced to kind of hone your craft and see, well, can I write? Well, no, I'm not that kind of writer. Well, then you're a Rihanna or you're a Kylie or you're a, you know, and be that when you got on the show. And instead, I was just a vocalist. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if you're assigned to a label and you have a publishing deal, you need an identity. Yes, yes. And you need to you need to be able to sit at the table with all of these people and go, this is what I'm about. I 100% believe in it. Do you? Are you on board? You know? So it was tough. I went, I pretty much went into vocal coaching then for almost 10 years. Um, and I enjoyed it. But I think once an artist, always an artist. You know? Um, it was It was more so because I needed to support myself financially. Um, I mean, obviously I was, I was in a partnership at the time, um, but they were, they were rough years, you know, and I, and I didn't actually realize how rough they were until after my separation from, from my ex-husband, it, it all kind of hit me very quickly. And then I just went back into work more because I was like, you know, so to answer your question, less long-winded, there, it was very much up and down. Mm. It was very much up and down. Um, do do you feel, you know, because the one thing I've, there's a pattern amongst artists, you know, not just Irish yeah. artists, but artists from all over the world and, and actors too, is that a lot of people involved in the arts in general have a lot of insecurities, you know, because mm. it's that kind of industry because you're always competing for jobs. You're always competing for that gig or that, you know, position. So yeah. a lot of people have this, as you mentioned earlier, imposter syndrome. Should yeah. I be here? Am I good enough? Do I yeah. deserve this? And even yeah. when you do get it, they're feeling, am I good enough to stay on? Will I be kicked out the door? Did you did you have that in your career where you felt like, am I all the time, all the time, all the time, Simon, all the time. Yeah. And even today, like, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with a woman by by the name of uh, Lynn Hilton. So towards, let me think about this, towards the end of 2018, um, to say that I was close to depressed would be an understatement. Like I was, I'd really, really hit rock bottom in a lot of ways. And I knew for definite that I wanted to pick up the pen again and start writing and being, I just, and being an artist, I just couldn't find my way out of out of the hole and so I worked with Lynn uh, she has this program called the performer's edge and um it was worth every penny because we really really did a deep dive into an awful lot of roots but I had another session with her recently um 
just in relation to another job I was doing. And she was like, so, so how are you doing? And I said, I'm still struggling with imposter syndrome. And she said, well, what happens? You know, she was like, what happens in your brain with this? And I said, well, I walk into certain rooms and I think today is the day they're going to find out I am full of shite. Today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to pick up the microphone. I'm not going to be able to sing. Or today's the day somebody's going to turn around and be like, well, you know, you're not really the aesthetic that we're looking for. Could you go yeah. and lose 20 pounds? And, you know, the COVID-15 yeah. is real. Go sort your shit out. Yes. I'm sorry. Don't edit no. that out. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. We, we allow all that um, work there. <laughs> But yeah, go, like going back to the session with, with Lynn, I was like, I really struggle to buy into the fact that I'm good enough to be here. And so, you know, we did a little bit of a thing, but you're right. Every single artist carries some sort of insecurity and some sort of baggage and some sort of anxiety around, particularly if your goal is to perform at a high level, it's very hard to get away from that. And you've really got to do the work and pry think about what you're thinking a lot of the time nowadays you have to be everything but it's very hard when you're doing different things to find out like you said oh i'm really good at this or or maybe Mm. you want to go one way and somebody says Mm -hmm. you "You know you're really good at doing this other thing and you're like yeah but i kind of like doing that thing they're like yeah but you're really good at doing the other thing and then you're like you think so and then you're like no i don't want to leave this thing though i don't want to leave singing or i don't want to leave it's hard isn't it it's really difficult, but even even as a singer, people develop these sort of um, comfort zones around what you do. So it's like, oh, she sings soul all the time, and I'm like, no, I really don't. No, I, I really, I really don't. But at the same time, please don't come up to me at a wedding and be like, you're singing in McFlavin, do you? So let me ask you then, obviously. Being a vocal coach, you know, and when you're yeah. a vocal coach and you would have um, all types of people coming for lessons and, you yeah. know, some amazing singers and some potential oh, great talent. But no, no, but I, I'm sure you had some terriers as well coming in the door, you know, the, the high-pitched screamers. And um, <sighs> it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because as a, as a vocal coach, because I know myself as a guitar teacher, you kind of, some people have natural talent and, yeah. you know, you, and, and like I've worked as, as a choir director in a school and everything. And the thing is, uh, you, you look at certain people and you're like, wow, they're really good singers. And mm. I remember, I'm not going to mention names or whatever, but I worked on an album year, about 10 years ago or so with these yeah. group of kids. And uh, I wrote all the music and the songs for it, and then the kids recorded it. But yeah. the problem was none of them had any vocal training, and we tried our best, but in the end we had to auto-tune and fix some of the stuff. And yeah. it's very hard because you have to be very discreet and very delicate, and it's it's hard. you don't want to hurt people's feelings, but you kind of might say, like I, I remember on that project we had this amazing singer, and she left, and she was the only hope I had. I was like, oh, my God, she's going to be so good. And she left the project and I was left with all the other people. And fair play to them. You know, they tried their best, but Mm. it's not something you can just instantly become a good singer. So Mm. I remember sitting down with the the guy who was doing the master and and I said to him, look, we have a bit of work to do. And he was like, "Okay, don't worry. But I'm sure you found that over the years with singers that, you know, it's hard. It's. 
because most of my clients, in fact, I would say 98% of my clients were kids. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's a different dynamic altogether. And you, you really are, I think your, your job as a vocal coach or a teacher of any kind is like you say, to, to nurture as much as possible. Um, there would have been only time I can remember being, and it's not that I was dishonest. I was just straight up and down the line um, with this particular client's parent because the the vibe that I was given was we really want her to be a star. We're really serious about her being in music. And she was about to audition for a show at the time. And I can remember this. She, I mean, she was a tiny wisp of a thing, all of 10, maybe. Um, and opened her mouth to sing. And I was like, there really are, there's some good in there. But if I was her mom, I would nearly have her train for a couple of years. And so after the first lesson, I get the, the question that every teacher dreads nearly. So what do you think? And you have to come up with, with a diplomatic answer that is fair, most importantly, to your student. Yes. And so I crack open the, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff happening, but I would recommend that she trains for a couple of, I never saw her again. I never saw her again. And, and a lot of those kids, they could be good, but they need that development. And But the problem is the parents want to fast track it. And they want, they, and they, maybe, they, maybe they look at you and say, oh, this, if anyone can make her a star, it's Lucia. She's been down. Yeah, and, and that's the pressure. And train her. That's the pressure. You see, it's it's like, and and in fairness, um, that was that was the exception. I had a, a, a probably about five percent of my clients who were really serious about music and who really did work, and it was a joy, just a constant joy. And, um, you know, as a vocal coach, and I think as any kind of musical teacher, really what you're what you're aiming to do is to teach so that eventually your students leave that they're that good that they leave, you know, and they can, they can self-sustain and they only drop in for maintenance, you know, and, and I'm glad to say that a few, a few of my clients really, really did do that. Um, for the most part, you know, I, I could, I could almost name down to the day how long a student would stay for because it's, it's an after school activity at the end of the day. And so when you come in with all your technique and everything, and you're not just singing songs because you're, you're feeding the technique with a view to protect the voice. People are like, Oh, this is not really what I signed up for. And that's fine. That's fine. They'll, you know, they'll do it for six weeks or, you know, six months or whatever. Um, and that's just the transient nature of teaching a lot of the time. And, and it's the gems that make it really satisfying. You know, and everything and, and everything else is just it's just fun. It's just fun. The most rewarding part of that that period of my life really is that I've had um, students who didn't stay with me long term. They might have stayed for like six months or a year that I've since met. And they're all grown up and, and they'll say to me, I never forgot the life advice that you gave me in that period of time. You know, I might have learned how to sing, but the life advice that you gave me. And I'm, look at, I was a kid teaching kids, let's face it. Um, 
but that's, that's really powerful to me, you know, um, that you mightn't necessarily get the results you're looking for as a teacher, but if you can impact a life, sure, that's worth. Yeah. And, and when people come back to you years later and say, oh, you know, you really influenced me a lot and you helped me, that's, that's the joy in itself. You yeah, know? it really they is. Say, oh, really I'm is. still doing this because of you and you gave me that good advice and that's brilliant, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So tell me then, obviously, you know, you've, you've done a lot in the last few years in your songwriting camps and you're singing for the Pope. So how did that come about? Oh my goodness. So random. So random. So uh, do you have him on speed dial? Like, does he call you? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ringing Francis the whole time. Like <laughs> sinned last week. He gives yeah, an old yeah. absolution there. <laughs> coming to confession, coming to Rome for confession. <laughs> no, um, basically what happened was the company that were running um, the World Festival of Families, that's the wrong name. But basically, it was, it was the gig in Croke Park. Yeah. Uh, the same company that I toured um, Heartbeat of Home, which is the, like, you know, the, the follow-up show to Riverdance. Um, same company. And they had this piece of music in Irish that they wanted four women from four different backgrounds, four different walks of life in Ireland to sing. So they had a lady from the traveling community, a really well-known lady from the traveling community, um, Moya Brennan. Hello. Um, why can't I think of her name? Emer, Emer. I am the voice. What's her name? What's his surname? Emer Quinn. Thank you. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, so Emer Quinn and myself. And so I, I get the call to say, would you be interested in, um, in doing the gig and of course I'm like yes I'm all over it um but it's the whole song is in Irish Milana Heron is in Irish and so they were like do you speak Irish I was like no I'm the flipping word in my head like so I ended up doing a session with having somebody speak the words out in a Connemara accent then I had another girl with a Cork accent say the words out record them so I was working off of three accents at one point, totally confused. And then there was, there was a bit of a mix up with the song. So I had to go back up to Windmill Studios, um, Windmill Lane and re-record my verse. It was, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a to-do, but that's basically how I got the gig was through um, working with um, Awan Productions and um, the Riverdance crew, really, or the Heartbeat of Home crew, I should say. It's just cool. Wow. That's cool, and yeah. you know, obviously, then you uh, you recorded the the in the national concert hall with the with the, um, what, the my Hudson River, and yeah, so that yeah, was an amazing experience. No, oh my god! So Brian Byrne, who um, a, a lot of people would hear that name and go, "Well, who the hell is he?" So Brian is from Navin, lives in the states. He was living in LA for a long time. I think he's moved to Oklahoma now. Um, Moved to the States because he's like, I'm going to be a composer, right? Goes to dinner with this, this Hollywood guy, meets Bert Bacharach, doesn't tell him that he's a composer. Bert Bacharach finds out that he's a composer at the dinner, has him sit down and play. And the next thing he's working with like Katy Perry and Barbara Streisand. And then the next thing he's nominated for a Golden Globe. And the next thing, he's the guy composing the music for Heartbeat of Home. And working with Brian is like, have you ever talked to an academic who's just next level? Yes. You, just, you can't there. even, 
you can't even track what's going on. You're like, I want to meet the hamsters running the wheel in yes. your brain because this is Nick, this is unreal. So, um, so worked with Brian on a heartbeat of home and we, we got on really well because some of the stuff when, when I came on board, the show actually wasn't finished. The writing of the show wasn't done. So he would, he'd be drafted in to, to write a song for heartbeat and, and I'd be in the rehearsal room or whatever. And he'd be like, he'd hit a chord. He'd sing a line and he'd say himself, he's not a singer. And then he'd go, can you sing this for me, Lucia? So he'd do that, record that, do the next phrase. I'd sing that. So I'm having to retain the first phrase that I've sung and the second. And it's so snippets. It's snippets. And then he's like, okay, can we string all of that together? And somehow I did it. And I don't know, is it because they, my body viewed those as high stress situations and the survival mechanism was to remember all the phrasing, but it just set me on fire. So anyways, fast forward however many years and he'd written this show called, um, Angel of Broadway, a musical with his wife, Casey. So Casey wrote the book, the lyrics, and he wrote all of the music. And we did a concert version of it in the National Concert Hall. And again, the music is so complex, but it is stunningly, stunningly beautiful. So I really hope that when everything starts coming back on board, that it it becomes a staged show that people can come in and 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 watch because it's it's astonishing as far as i'm concerned and so for you like right now what what kind of stuff are you working on or what kind of projects that you can tell us about obviously um so i have literally been as as often as is humanly possible sat in my room here writing songs um and out of a collection of maybe 40 odd i have five that i really love and I'm proud of and they are not anything like the other man which I wrote years ago and I never want anybody to hear ever again I don't know why I mentioned it I don't want anyone to listen to that second song ever again ever 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 um and it's not like trip uh which I wrote over a decade ago as well um there's kind of disco tones disco undertones to some of them um one of them is is very soulful and I and I see it with like a live band, but all of this is happening in tandem with me rebranding. So the goal is to have a body of work and release it. Um it's been a few hiccups. I'm gonna to be totally honest. Um a few delays, but that's fine. That's fine. And I've I've some other stuff in the pipeline as well, but can't talk about it. Um but I, I'm I'm loving I'm loving this season of my artistry and I'm very very fortunate to have reconnected with a gentleman by the name of Oshin Brown um do you know Oshin? the name sounds familiar but you need to interview Oshin right okay okay. he's such an interesting person because he's mad into music his family have the city bin company here in Galway and he's written he's written three books like wow on sales uh, he's he's astonishing. He's just and he's just the nicest person. I find it impossible to say no to Oshin. Impossible. 
He's like my trainer, my personal trainer. I can't say no to her. She tells me to squat 20 times. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of, he's kind yeah. of like a mentor, is he? He is. So he, he, we reconnected towards the end of 2019. And then I, I did the Galway songwriting camp, which himself and his brother Parrish put on in February, 2020 before, you know, everything went shite. And, um, and afterwards he, he approached me and he said, look, I watched you all week. And to say, to say that you're, you're good is probably now he's very kind. So I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, but he was like, you really should do something with the songs that you've written. And you should really do something with this gift that you've been given. It's kind of criminal that it's not being used. And he said, look, if you're looking to put a team together, I'm, I'm happy to jump on board. And so the next thing team Queen L was born. So I have him, um, Caroline Downey of Carried Away PR is on board. And I have a couple of girls, um, Anna and Quiva working, helping me with my social media. And so it's become this really organic thing. We're starting to ramp things up now a little bit. And because I, I'm rubbish at social media. If, if I could hide, no, really, if I could just not post for three months and then post something that got me 10,000 followers, I'd be like, I'm all over that. Yes. I'm all over that. It is difficult because I myself, I hate social media and I hate that it's something you have to do. But yes. the point is that it's really tedious and sometimes it makes the work even more tedious and it kills the art. But unfortunately, we have to do it nowadays. If you're going to run any sort of successful business and be any sort of brand, you cannot shy away no. from social media. Like I've, I've just bitten the bullet. And, and again, it's, it's a mindset shift. I'm like, well, it's part of the vehicle. It's part of the car that I've chosen to drive. So let me just get on with it, you know? Yes, for sure. I mean, that's great to hear that you've kind of all this stuff in the pipeline. And I, I, I can only imagine it's going to be great, you know? And, I hope you know, so. I hope so. Yeah, and, you know, listen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And I definitely, there's a lot more things I wanted to ask you. But I think well, ask we have, me. Ask well, me. We've time. Yeah. So I wanna, the, la, the only thing I wanted to ask you was about, obviously, your acting career and going on. <gasps> I knew yeah. it. I knew no, it. But, oh, God. No, no, but, but I don't want it. I don't want to um, dwell, or what, what's the word, dwell on that. But what I want to ask you really is, mm. It, when you were involved in the arts world and yeah. was there always a tendency that you wanted to act or something somebody said to you, you should do it or you know what I mean is it a thing you have a passion for or how do you feel about it um honestly hmm. uh so growing up I know I talk in circles but I there's always a point no, um I I didn't sing first singing came last for me so I trained as a ballet dancer and studied piano first. And then because I was confident and articulate as a kid, I kind of landed into these acting roles for, you know, school plays, which always had a musical element in them. So I've always acted. But if you were to say to me, do I consider myself an actress and do I, do I consider myself good? I would say no. I, I really would. Um, and it, Somebody heard me say that once and they were like, no, that's, you know, that's, that's not, that's not true. Um, but acting is a, is such a, it's, to me, it's almost a sacred craft. 
like I wouldn't be running around calling myself an actress or uh, nobody really says actor actress anymore I wouldn't be running around calling myself an actor willy-nilly you know and even doing um I'm probably more comfortable doing theater because you can you can get away with overplaying stuff tv is is so hard it's so hard because everything has to be as natural as possible, even though you're embodying a character, which is why I found um, people knock Fair City. It's kind of similar to to the late late people knock it. But when they do those rehearsals on a Monday morning in the green room, those read throughs, it's amazing. It's amazing. These people really think about the lines and the intentions and you know, staging and how all of this is going to work. And I think that is just yeah. in an ideal world, I'd, I'd go to college for a while and study it. Yeah, I really I, I would. Think the, 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 the thing about Fair City, whether you love it or hate it, it's another Irish institution. And lots this of people it. love it. Lots of people yeah. love it. And when something is on that, like, you know, a few times a week, of course, it's you're like, oh, this is on again. Or are you chewing away from that? But it's there and it's Irish content and there's some great actors on it and some great actors have come and go, gone Phenomenal. from the show. Yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, quite literally, cr- like, crap the bed. Yes. Every yeah. time I was on. Wow. But you walk, but you walk in and you bluff and you're like, I know what ah, I'm doing. Yeah. Having a bloody clue. Having a clue, lads. Winging it. But, but just to enjoy it, you know. So yeah. what do you yeah. think, obviously, with all of your plans ahead, the last thing I want to ask you is mm. what what do you think, you know, what's one aspiration or one ambition for you in the next year or two that you want to kind of do or want to achieve? I want to release a body of work that is authentically me and, un- and unapologetically me, you know, because I think, and again, I've, I've, you know, I've said this to my team, when people met, whether it was in person or uh, through, you know, watching, watching the show, watching Eurostar, it was a 23-year-old version of me who was very unsure of herself um, and had no sense of direction and had really serious self-esteem issues even though she didn't realize it you know and the issue there is it takes probably another you know this when you're when you're in your early 20s and you're playing it probably takes another 10 years before you go hang on a second this doesn't sit with me um and it takes a certain length of time before you're willing to ask for what it is that you need and i'm i'm at that point now and that comes with uh its own potential dangers. You know, you can be labeled a diva because you're asking for what you need. You're not necessarily asking for what you want. You're, you're asking for what you need. But what I need is at this particular juncture in my life to be 100% Queen L, which is, you know, the new artist's name. And she is an extension of myself. Um, and she's she is she still has aspects of that 23 year old but she's very different and i and i want people to and i want people to meet her um and hopefully fall in love with her the same way they did with with me so yeah and have a million followers brilliant and, of course 
Yes. Have them all pay I, 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 I saw I saw a post where a guy was saying lately, you know, he said, there's too much emphasis on hitting the like button and all of these things. And we have to get away from that. And, and I hope you watch this video. And don't, remember, don't forget to press the like button. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like the best ending ever of a video. Oh, I was like, that yeah. is so good. It just good. shows that doesn't matter how genuine people can come across. They always are thinking, make sure. I hope people like this video. I hope it gets Honestly, know, millions of hits. You, funny you say that because um, who was I talking to recently? Uh, I think it was somebody who works with the RTE concert orchestra and he had met this woman who's really high level, like really, really high level music industry because he had worked with Riverdance and, you know, in the, in the early days. So, you know, yeah. And, um, she was saying, cause X Factor just kind of was still really big. It It had just come on the scene. And she said, here's the thing. Every artist every person on the planet wants to be loved and wants to be accepted. Um, as artists, you know, we want to write things or create things that are loved and accepted. She said, the problem is none of them want to do the effing work. No, nobody wants to work. <laughs> to get there. And it is, it's work. You know, I'm, I'm learning that now. It's just, it's, it's constant. It's constant, constant. but that's okay. It's okay. And it's you not know, the, end of the, the, the it's thing is, work. sometimes the things you work on the most can get the least attention, and something you work on for a short while you can get the most, and that's just the cruelty of being an artist. It's it's like the whole the 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 number the number of singers and creators that you 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 hear them interviewed and they're like, oh that that what song was it of Michael Jackson's that nearly didn't make the album? It was like beat it or something like that, that nearly wow. didn't make the album. And yes. it just, it took off, you know, and it's always, it. yeah. yeah. There's always something that somebody else hears and they, they say, that's it. And the artist might go, that's rubbish. I, I'm not playing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I always that story where, where uh, Slash from Guns N' Roses was, yeah playing a sweet child of mine just like noodling on the couch and someone said that's a really cool riff and he went that's just rubbish i'm just playing rubbish something and then they were like no it's really good and it goes on to become one of the biggest rock anthems ever and the the artist themselves goes no no that was just a little riff that meant nothing to me you know you need to watch you need to watch that series that's on netflix it's called um this is pop okay and see that. Yeah. There's there's an episode in it about all the Swedish um all these Swedish producers and songwriters that have had like huge success like Max Martin. But there's another guy who um came up with a guitar riff. This is gonna wreck my head now because I only watched it the other day. I've yeah. sometimes I have a, like a real goldfish memory. It's like gone round the bowl. Nine seconds later, can't bloody remember what I watched, who I and saw. And it comes to you later, driving the car. And it comes to, I promise you, I'm going to be on Facebook Messenger yeah. later on, like, Simon, Simon, is it's it, this. Is it. <laughs> is it. Lucia, I'm going to let you go. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. We can talk you. all Thanks night. So and we will do this again. I'd love to have you on the show again sometime, you know. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, with all the work you've been doing and all the work you're going to do, there's definitely room for another couple of shows with your career, you know, in your life. Oh, God. Um, 
And all I can say is, well done for everything you've achieved so far. You know, you've you've had lots of success in your life. And I know there's always ups and downs. But, you know, as you said, once you go up, you have to come down and vice versa. So that's just life. But Mm. it's been a pleasure. And thank you very much for coming on. Lucia Evans, everybody. Thank you so much for letting me ramble on, Simon. It's it, You're a gem. You're an absolute gem. And I will see you again soon, I hope. Thank you so much. Cheers. Okay. Thank you very much, Lucia. Really enjoyed that chat. It was great to have you on with us here today. And we hope the listeners, you guys, enjoyed that show as well. It was very interesting to hear Lucia's perspective on things and to hear about her journey and her musical career so far on and off stage and in front of the cameras. So thank you once again, Lucia, for appearing on the podcast. Okay, everybody, we'd like to say thank you for tuning in as well. Also, the guest, you're very important to us, and we hope you've enjoyed the content so far. And remember, you can listen back to Season 1 episodes and just follow the links, and you can find all the previous episodes from last year. Well, this year, last year. And that's it, guys. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed being with you. My name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper podcast. And until next time, take care. Look after yourself. Look after everybody else. Bye-bye.